no one has the same journey. And you have to just realize that it's it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. And I think patience is the hardest part. So for me, research is being active as a creative person and following kind of your muse. If you really love it and you really are into it, you got to be a sponge. And when I say that, you need to be open and actively pursuing design everywhere you go or illustration, whatever it is you're into. I try and get it out there. And I have found that, you know, you have to constantly be doing things and making things and things will happen. Welcome back to another episode of Design D-Dogs Podcast. I am your host, Peter Bella. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Central Arkansas. I am a creative director and owner-founder of Twist Creative Studio. On today's podcast, we speak with Marius Valdez, who is an artist currently based in Columbia, South Carolina. He is an associate professor in studio art, concentrating on design and illustration at the University of South Carolina. He lives in Forest Acres, South Carolina, with his wife, Beth, daughter, Emma, and according to Marius, his very lazy but adorable dog, Mary. Valdez received his BFA in graphic design from the University of Georgia and his MFA in visual communication from Virginia Commonwealth University in 2005. Valdez has been recognized by design publications such as How, Print, Communication Arts, Creative Quarterly, Step, and industry competitions including American Illustration, AIGA InShow, AIGA Seed Awards, and the South Carolina Advertising Federation Addy Awards. Valdez's work has been featured in several books about contemporary graphic design and illustration. He has participated in solo and group exhibitions internationally. Valdez has presented at academic conferences about design and illustration-related topics. And in 2017, Valdez completed a one-year residency as the first visual artist in residence at the award-winning and innovative Richland Library. Without further ado, let's dive in and listen to this great conversation about defining yourself through your research with Marius. Marius, welcome to Design Deducts Podcast. It's great to have you here. Um, welcome. Thank you. It's yeah. nice to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, most definitely. Uh, you have a, a very interesting um, research background, so I'm really eager to kind of get into that. But uh, before I do, though, can you tell me a little bit about your path into academia and how you got interested in, in teaching? Uh, yeah, so um, I went to VCU for grad school, and uh, before I went there, um, I graduated from Georgia, and I worked for about four years as an art director, and okay. I kind of bounced around different agencies, um, doing freelance work and working other places, and uh, the thing that was frustrating to me as an art director was I was really bad about talking about my work. Like I would go into me with a client and they would say, why should I pick this? And I'd be like, oh, cause this looks cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, or I like it, you know, and it was all the things I say in critiques now with students. I just could not talk about my work um, or why a client should do pick one choice over the other. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, I went to, to grad school with that intention of like, I want to go get better. Um, and, 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 Sound more intelligent, if for yeah. lack of better, you and, know, wording. Uh, and and you know, for the students that are listening to the podcast, I think that's really important. We'll come back and talk about that. Like, why should we go to grad school? As design educators, we know yeah. why, right? Yes. We have to have yeah. that terminal degree. But um, for students, talking about grad school, okay. So continue. Well, and and so the other part of that was that that was one of the main reasons. The other thing was while I was working as an art director and, and designer. Um, I had started this doing finger painting on cardboard and I was making these kind of weird characters and just really, I mean, it looks like kid, kid stuff, you know I mean? It looks like a kid did it. Um, but I started winning all these design awards. I got into print, I got into communication arts, illustration annual. And I was like, what? You know, I've been doing all this <laughs> other real design work and never won anything. But I started finger painting on on cardboard that I was, di- you know, dumpster diving to get. And I was painting with my fingers because I didn't want to spend money on art supplies. Yeah. And, uh, but that's what everyone had this visceral reaction to. And so I started winning all these awards and getting all this recognition for it. And um, I just sort of felt like, okay, I want to spend some time and check out the real world and explore this some more, you know? Okay. And, yeah. and going to grad school was sort of like, all right, I'm going to take a little break and I'm going to figure out, why this is working and how I can do it better. And then as soon as I got to grad school, my teachers were like, okay, you can't do any of that because you've already done it. 
you know, so, um, yeah, so they, they really were like, all right, get your camera out, work, take pictures, you know, want to see you doing more experimental stuff. And I kind of got into visual narrative from that. So when I went to grad school, I really had no intentions of teaching. I I mean, (laughs) I was not thinking about going to school to teach. I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to learn how to be a better illustrator. I'm going to learn how to be a better designer. I'm going to learn how to talk about my work. So maybe eventually I can be a creative director. And, um, one of the perks they gave me for my scholarship there was, uh, they gave me a class to teach to make some money. And I got in there and I just loved it, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was, it was fun. And it was, um, it was just such a blast working with students. And I was, I wasn't too much older than them, but I was a little bit older than them. And I just knew more because I had, I had been working longer. Mm-hmm. And um, I just really liked it. And, and they let me teach, I guess, each semester I was there. And uh, I remember asking my advisor, I was like, hey, I think I kind of want to teach. And she said, well, you should. And I was like, do you think anyone would actually really let me teach? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just couldn't believe I had the credentials to do it. And I was just yeah, telling my yeah. I was just telling my wife last night, you know, when you go to grad school, they don't necessarily teach you how to teach. You know, it's really yes. more about doing stuff and kind of throwing you to the wolves a little bit. Yeah, I, um, I've had this conversation with many educators, which is one of the reasons for the podcast. I want to yeah. talk to those that are interested in teaching. Um, what What does that look like? Because when you when you go to grad school, if you're thinking about being a design educator, there's no discussion on what it is to be a design educator like you say do i have credentials to be design educator what are what are those what makes you that design educator yeah yeah i mean and and i've been teaching for 14 years now and i still like have semesters where i think like oh man i was terrible and then i get these (laughs) but then i get reviews from students and they're telling me they love the class and it was the best Mm -hmm. class they've had and so yeah. you start realizing, well, I guess I'm doing something right, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, You're not alone. I, I think we yeah. all have those moments, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the classic imposter syndrome, you know? It's like, me? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the, uh, that is the most stressful part, I think, about being an artist or teaching is just that, you know, I'm glad someone came up with a good term to, to communicate that because I think you always feel a little bit of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think it's healthy. You know, I think it's healthy to feel that. So, you know, keep, keep yourself in check and be sure that you're constantly concentrating on, on, uh, you know, meeting the, I want to say the goals, but like we've already said, what, you know, whatever it is we're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think like, you know, we mentioned before we came on air here that, you know, I wish your podcast had been around when I was just getting started because I think it would be a really valuable thing. But I think that is the beautiful thing about going to conferences like CCAC and AIGA and stuff is when you get in a room with other design educators and you kind of be like, oh, man, I'm not the only one, you know, that feels mm-hmm. this way. There's there's some, you know, it's probably classic psychology where there's like a little bit of relief that there's other people like you, you know. Right, right. Um, and that's what I'm hoping the podcast will do is kind of fill those voids and those gaps where we can't get out to conferences. And not every design educator, every program has the ability yeah. to to send out um, educators to those conferences. So yeah. hopefully I'm feeling that void. Yeah, for sure. I think you are. Thank you. So uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. So one class teaching is where you kind of got started. Did it just kick off and just like, all right, give me full-time teaching right now. Let's do this. Yeah, they, so my first class I team taught with a more you know seasoned faculty member. Um and she would kind of meet with me and tell me things, and then I would proceed to do none of the things she told me to do. Um, and, and, you know, when I taught the things I was comfortable teaching, I taught the things I knew how to do pretty well. So it wasn't yeah. that hard. Um, and then the other classes, I got to team teach with another grad student. Um, and that was really good because I was teaching with people like me who had been out for a while and worked in different environments. And so we kind of, you know, just like classic things now when you're in the classroom, you learn from each other as much as you do from a, a professor. Um, and so just kind of felt it out that way. And my uh, my studio mate was a guy named John Stanko, um, who you should get on this podcast. And um, <laughs> John was, uh, he and I would talk as much about teaching as we did about our artwork or what we were doing in class. And I think the two of us really put our heads together and kind of figured out Hey, I'm going to do this tomorrow. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to try this. Or you should think about doing this. 
and and oh, that really I think that's kind of you know and and John and I kept that up for he went into teaching too and for two or three years after we got out of grad school we would we would have these phone calls every other Friday oh, hey wow. man let's listen what happened to my program or listen listen what's going on here or you know this is how we're doing this and and it was great you know so I think having that sense of community finding people like you that you get along with you can have those kind of conversations that's real valuable you know oh definitely yeah and, i feel that now with my current colleague you know he and i'll just you know stop by each other's office be like you know i've had this thought or what do you think about this or you know how's your experience with that and it it's been very rewarding for sure yeah and you know we again off off air we talked about um i'm at university of south carolina and uh, one of your previous podcast members, uh, Mina Kalili, um, you know, we just hired her on and having her and we have another new person, Brent Ditas, the two of them coming in has has given everybody a, a breath of, you know, fresh air. And it's just like, yeah. oh, we got to up our game more. And it just makes you, you know, having colleagues that, that are, are upping their game forces you to kind of do better, I think. So, yeah, that, I, that's I been valuable. Yeah, definitely. And that's challenge. And, and again, like you said, that's a challenge with certain programs. You don't have, we, we tried to get a new hire for 10 years, you know, we just got one. So, yeah. um, but that's been, that's been real helpful too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, you know, that where we're at with design education, as far as universities, you know, and not necessarily the politics of it, but, um, you know, getting new hires and, and filling the voids in departments. And it's not something we feel just in art and design. It's, it's across uh, all oh, yeah. academia. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think we're in a moment of change for academia and public institutions kind of need to kind of start to think about, you know, rethinking their thinking and, and redesigning how they operate and stuff like that. But that's, that's a whole nother. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I, I, agree. Genre. Yeah. I, I was on a, uh, college task force a couple of years ago that that's all we talked about was sort of how expectations of parents and students are changing. And, mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can either cling on to what has been done or start to think about what you can do to evolve, you know? Yes. And, yeah. um, and it's hard, it's hard fighting that battle. Um, but it needs to be fought. And, yep. um, and I guess the, the biggest problem in academia is everything moves so slow. Yeah. You know, very, very much. Yeah. And and especially when you're in a public institution, you know, you just can't make a change. It's like, you know, we're trying to rewrite some curriculum right now and we're realizing, oh, we can't legally even do this for another year until it goes through all this, the chain of command and mm -hmm. gets approved and goes into the bulletin. And yeah, you know, yeah. Same so. for us. We're rethinking our foundations program uh, rather than the, the standard, you know, 2D, 3D drawing. We're changing them from semester classes into blocks, and we're looking mm. at co-teaching. Uh, mm. It's a beautifully designed uh, foundations. It's taking a long time. Yeah, know? we're hoping that it'll be running by next fall, but yeah. um, you know, fingers crossed, everything everything goes well. So, um, you're you're teaching, right? I, yep. I, I've kind of got a little glimpse of some of the classes that you're that you're teaching <laughs> and have been teaching. Mm -hmm. They're pretty traditional standard expectations yep. as a graphic design uh, background and a program that teaches graphic design. But then if you look at your research, someone might go, well, is this the same person? You know, it's, it's slightly <laughs> yeah. different, right? Yeah. And by the way, for everyone, there'll be uh, links to um, uh, Marissa's work. Uh, so everyone can, can go look at it and please go look at it. It's um, such a joy to kind of look at the breadth of work that you're doing. Um, everything from kids books to murals to stuff in the libraries to exhibitions of your work. It's, it's stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So sure. Talk a little bit about your big air quotes research then. And, and yeah. what, yeah. Cause it looks different. It's not what someone would expect is research. So how does, how do you classify research then? Well, let me start by saying, too, that anyone watching, if they have any other questions, please email, email me. And, you know, if you're a junior faculty and you have questions, reach out. You know, oh, thank uh, this, you. That's this, this is this is part of you building a community here. So I'm happy to help anyone that has more specific questions. But, yeah, I mean, the, the honest answer with my research is that um, I can do 
I can do design. I, I've worked as an art director. I've worked a designer. I've worked in big agencies and small agencies. I can do all that stuff. But people don't want to pay me to do that. They want to pay me for this, the stuff that, frankly, is more fun for me to do, which is the more playful, childlike, naive kind of thing. And a lot of people tell me, you know, that's hard for them to, to do that. So I, I have kind of, you know, and I think grad school was good for this for me. It would kind of force me to, to look at what I do and what I do naturally and sort of embrace it. Mm-hmm. And um, I've kind of really owned it, you know. And um, so for me, research is I really think it's about being active as a creative person and following kind of your muse. And if that means doing an art show, you do an art show. Or if you're doing freelance work, you know, you're doing freelance work. Um, If you're selling stuff on Etsy, I think all that stuff is related now. You know, the lines have been blurred between design and illustration and every, and entrepreneurs. And um, I think that the one thing that someone advised me a long time ago and that I have kind of worked hard is in terms of teaching and academia, I've been pretty good about finding how to, to do something and make everything work together. So, for example, if I do a show that's local, well, being at a research one institution, they don't want to see me doing local shows. Right. But if I, but if I design a poster for that show and I get that poster into an awards competition and I win an award for it, well, then that's that's scholarship, right? So, sure, right. So whenever I'm doing anything, um, you know, I would love to be doing only international and national client work and exhibitions, but I, I don't, you know. So I find ways to kind of mix it up. So I just recently did a thing for a local uh, holiday event here, and all those illustrations I have submitted to five or six different national, international competitions, you know, hopefully I get into some of those. Um, that brings me more work. That also mm-hmm. brings me scholarship. Um, I can show all those sketches in class and show my students how the emails looked when they came in and how I went about doing the project. That's making the the research and the teaching and the scholarship all work together. So that's, yeah. So that's kind of been that's kind of been my thing. So like whenever I do anything. Um, I try and get it out there and I have found that, you know, you have to constantly be doing things and making things and things will happen. If you sit back and wait for people to come to you, you're you're not going to get anywhere. So, you know, if someone asks me to go do something, is it going to be the most, you know, internationally recognized client job? Maybe not, but I'm going to find a way to then market that or, share that to get another job or to um, turn into something I can talk about at conferences, you know? Yeah. So, uh, it, so how does that then look? Cause you mentioned you're at a research one university. Mm-hmm. Um, so that tenure review committee is very familiar with very particular or predictable, perhaps I say perhaps cause it's not always true. Yeah. expectations on measures, right? Right, right. Uh, whether it be a certain number of publications or a certain number of national exhibitions or whatever whatever it might be uh, or conferences. Yeah. How and, and how we write about our work is critical then, right? Yep. So yes. how, how, have you, how have you approached that? So one of the things that I have done um, is – in in my the personal narrative is really important when when you turn in your tenure file and in my in my statement and I just actually went through post tenure review and I had I put this this whole blurb back in there I kind of wrote a paragraph about the importance of um you know what designers do and like typically graphic designers don't hang their work in galleries right and and in today's day and age with the ease of being able for a client to go online and find someone from India or from California or whatever to design a project for them, for anyone to hire you is actually not unlike being selected for a juried exhibition. Right. Right. So, so you have to kind of educate your colleagues a little bit about that. And, um, and also the other thing is when I do win an award or, you know, for example, I was in something recently and they had posted 
we only took uh, we only selected 200 out of like 8,000 people or something crazy like that, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can state in a statistic saying I entered this competition and only 11% people were accept uh, of the people were accepted, that's a that's a mathematical number you can put on your work that no one can really argue with. And, right. and then you have to hope that the outside reviewers who are looking at your work can then fill in those blanks and, and speak up to the quality of what it is you're doing, you know? Right. Cause we could talk about the work we're doing is successful and quality and give them principles and elements of design and how it met conceptual things and uh, whatnot. But that may not make sense, uh, sense to them, you know? Right. So you have to, you have to learn to communicate differently and use data and stats to say this is why it was successful not because i understand design but yeah. it's because of the measures that it was right up and, and i think when you can put it in perspective for them and you say listen you know me getting into communication arts is is no different than making the cover of rolling stone or something like that you know if you yeah. can put it in their perspective or uh you know, me getting into this jury competition is extremely difficult and I'm competing against the best people in the country. Um, if you can make that argument, um, and it's really important for, for anyone who's think, going up for, for tenure, you got to keep track of that stuff all, along the way. Because right. I, I had to try and go back like something I won five years ago and get in touch with the editor. I was like, can you tell me the numbers? And they're like, we don't track that, you know. Yeah. But if you ask them right away, they usually know. Because they're they're kind of in the middle of it. Um, yeah, yeah, they have some kind of measure. Yeah. Know, for how it's um, so I think that's part of it. Um, you know, now I've spread myself. I've kind of diversified and done a little bit of everything just because I'm interested in all these different things. And a lot of times, my my fine art will actually get me commission freelance work because someone will see it and say, "Hey, this would look really cool for for this." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Years and years ago, and I'm not name dropping, but when I was living in Charleston, David Carson was living in Charleston. And he actually came, he saw me hanging posters for a show I was doing. And I said, hey, you should come to the opening. And he actually showed up. That's great. Yeah. And he hung out for a couple hours and he bought some artwork and stuff. And then he he actually commissioned me to do some some work for him based on that. And then I completely, totally to do, I did like one of the worst jobs I've ever done. Cause I was so nervous. I overthought it and everything. Yeah. And, and I saw him later and he was like, yeah, you know, I really just wanted you to do your thing. And you kind of, you just kind of did what, like, I think you thought you wanted me to mm-hmm. you to do, you know? Right. And, right. and, uh, that's a valuable message, you know, for, yeah. for our design students, you know, just, just do you be, you do your thing and don't right. try to over design. I see so many young design students think, well, I'm, I'm in a design program in a college and, you know, I'm expected to be a designer and they really start overthinking the design and the process. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's, I think it's such an important thing. I, I was, I tell my students this story all the time that when I was at the university of Georgia, I was so busy trying to do everything like everyone else. And I had this one teacher I could never make happy. And on the very last day of college, I had these little doodles I had drawn, drawn. They were just laying on, on the desk. And my teacher walked by and she said, who did these? And I was like, oh, those are mine. And she was like, these are great. Like, she's like, why haven't you been doing these? And I was like, oh, that's just what I draw when I'm in my biology class, you know, and, and I'm, I'm doodling in the notebook. She's like, well, this is what you should be doing. And and sure enough, if you looked at those, that is kind of what my style is now. That is awesome. You know? yeah. yeah. I just I just needed someone to kind of validate it and say, it's okay to draw like a 10 year old, you know, like yeah. <laughs> that's a good thing. Like do well, it, do well, more of it. I have on my uh, other monitor, <clears throat> uh, some of your work open on your website. And again, I, I encourage everyone that's listening or watching the podcast to go to, um, the websites and see, see Mary's work. Um, and also you mentioned a little bit ago about, um, how your illustration and how your art influences your design <laughs> in my graphics. One class, I have projects that are specifically designed to um, get students off the computer and mm-hmm. concentrate on an analog process to influence uh, their design work. Good. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up. And just looking at some of the pieces, the one I, I just I keep going back to it. I, I don't know if it's just because I finished a packaging project with my uh, one class, but 
the doodler uh uh-huh. the doodle freely the, kit yeah um, yeah that is to to me just the perfect marriage of art illustration and graphic design and it's aesthetically yours and it's just gorgeous nice. um so if you would then give me a little okay i i want you to pick one of your um pieces that um you're able to put into like your your tenure documents kind of talk about what it is that designers do Mm -hmm. one that was very successful that's kind of really close to you and um just like a case study of you know how how you made it work okay um probably the one that i think is the most interesting is um my secret species projects okay and and if you see it okay yeah so um when I was in grad school, my, my thesis was on visual narrative and my teachers wanted me to get away from actually illustrating stuff. So I started taking a lot of pictures and I started making little characters out of clay, like just cheap Sculpey clay you cook in a toaster oven. Okay. And, and, uh, I was using those things as models to make, to make short videos and do photo essays and stuff with, right. To tell stories with. And when I got out, um, at the time, I was really influenced by designer toys. I really love designer toys in terms of the sense of you have this cool art object. I love the packaging they do with it. I love, I love sort of the attitude behind why their people make them. Um, so I wanted to make my own. And, and so I, I made these little figures called the Secret Species. And uh, they were made out of clay. And I would design the packaging for them. And then I would make paintings based on them. And I would take photographs of them. I designed a logo based on them and I, I designed a whole typeface based on it. And I kind of put oh, wow. all that together into this, you know, this one package. Yeah. And, uh, and I was sending them out as promo pieces to people and, and selling them and just giving away to friends and stuff. And, um, and it was kind of a gamble because I spent, I spent a good two or three years developing this thing while I was a junior faculty member. And I ended up taking these into a school and having and students started making their own secret species, and they started doing drawings and writing stories about them in their English class and stuff. And it turned into this really cool way to kind of help educate kids and to make them think about new ways to write and be creative. That oh, was fun. Okay. And uh, and that turned into a thing that um, several art educators tuned into that, and now it's become a thing that, like, I mean, art teachers across the country will do this project with their students. And it really all started with me just wanting to make clay, you know, clay figures and make my own designer little toys and developing using the, using design is almost more like art mm-hmm. and really less as like, you know, a commercial thing using the language of typography to make my own typeface and using packaging, doing it in an innovative way to silk screening boxes instead of having them printed commercially. Um, and so it really turned into this kind of project that, I mean, it's lasted like ten years, and I, I wow. pick it up every yeah. every couple of every couple of years. I, I do something with it. I get tired of it, put it down. I come okay. back to it because I miss it. Um, a couple of years ago, the most recent thing I did was I made a kids' book about you know a story featuring the secret species. Um, so and, I, and, and in the other room, I have a you know Michael's had a big sale on Sculpey clay the other day, and I was like. I might stock up and do another <laughs> run, you know. Um, yeah. But I have I have gone all over. I mean, I went to England to talk about those things. Um, it, how How Magazine did a whole feature on it. Um, so it it just took off in surprising ways, and, and it was really about having fun. I mean, it was kind of like it's you know it's purposeful play, which I know is kind of a, a buzzword right now. But um, you know, I was interested in it, and it comes out in the work. You yeah. Know? Even so. the. Um um, the unwantables, the, the little yeah, the packaging un- <laughs> that the unwantables were the precursor to the secret species. So oh, they, yeah. they're kind of in the same universe, but that they kind of evolved a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I can, I can see how, how well this stuff could come into the classroom and, uh, encourage students, um, you know, to process their work in the different aspects of, of design and things. Um, if I remember correctly, as I'm kind of clicking through some open tabs here and I'm looking at, Mm -hmm. um, some of the, the teaching that you've done, if I could, I got to scroll now. Okay. Give me a moment as I'm scrolling. Um, 
and I see um, like time and sequence, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. see some of your teaching illustration, um, visual, visual arts, computing. So it's not just the traditional graphics one, graphics two, uh, illustration, and so on and so forth. So it, it, how, how is this then uh, coming into some of those digital classes? As, as I've um, been speaking with others, right now the AIGA design conference for 2020 is coming up over in Pittsburgh. And yeah. the big theme for design educators community and uh, the theme uh, for the conference is uh, bridging the physical and the digital. Right. So, so are you are you finding opportunity to kind of take these sculpy clay creatures, the 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 conceptual ideation or the processes past yeah, the physical? Definitely. Um, in in uh, at our school in May, we have a three week summer class um, called Maymaster, and uh, I used to teach a character design class, and that's all we did was we just made characters, and oh, wow. part of it was. Um, starting off this process with um, cutting paper and using construction paper to make characters. My, my senior uh, or my junior level just actually did this project a couple weeks ago where they had to make a logo, but they had to start with construction paper. Um, and we did kind of a kind of an exercise using a matrix and stuff to kind of mix these things together. Um, but it produces a lot of ideas really quickly. Um, and then in terms of bringing like animating these things, I wouldn't say I've done a little bit of animation with my characters. I haven't really done that in a class setting. Um, but with, I mean, I did recently do a, a motion poster project with the USC women's soccer team and our senior students where we had them go and interview the, the players and then create motion graphics based on uh, what it is to be a student athlete. Um, so, you know, with that stuff, that's not really like my strength. I've mm -hmm. I've done animation before. I've done motion stuff. I always kind of called it my ghetto animation because it was like so low tech. You know, like we're talking yeah. like Photoshop, you know, layered files, just basically like three minute animated GIFs, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it works. But it works. It works. Yeah. And it actually has a certain it has a certain character to mm -hmm. it. That exactly. you can't get when you're just jumping in Flash or you know using um, After Effects. There's a certain clunkiness and warmth to it, mm -hmm. and that really is, I think, the thing I try and inject the most in all my work is sort of the human element, the hand element. Yes, um, yeah. You know, so um, and, and I think students are these days. There's so many good things online, Skillshare, Linda, YouTube. The students are really quick to figure things out. Mm -hmm. I can kind of give students sort of a, you know, a general idea of like, here's what I want you to do. Here's some good examples. Um, figure it out, you know, and I will right. art direct it and I'll give you feedback on how it's looking, but you're going to have to do the, the, the work. Mm -hmm. And and most of them rise to that challenge. I, I, I think that's important. I have a lot of um, students in my graphics one class now. Unfortunately, we don't have like a digital imaging class where they get some software basis behind them. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of our students uh, come from a pretty wide variety of, um, you know, uh, fourth year K education where they don't have uh, the the background in the software. So in graphics one, a lot of them are like, well, you know, teach me Photoshop, teach me Illustrator. Yeah. And I have to kind of explain to them. I says, I one, sure, I could teach you the software but I'm going to make a cookie cutter person who's going to operate it just like I operate it, you know? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's not our goal. Our goal is to, it's like, here's a tool, play with it and figure out what works for you. Yeah. A perfect example is, is your work in finger painting on cardboard. You would never yeah. have discovered your aesthetic and the tools were the same as any other person would use, but right. you've discovered your, um, your process and, and your um, results from it, which I keep looking at the screen and I just keep shaking my head every time I see it. I'm like, man, it's just so, uh, so fun. So great. Well, but yeah, sorry. Well, well, one of the things, uh, I mean, one of the, one of the stories I tell my students that this is the classic uh, technology, you know, example I use all the time. And this is, this is the value of having worked a little bit before going to, to grad school is that, when I got out of college, my first week out of school, I, I landed like a three week, um, 
gig with Cartoon Network. <clears throat> and this was going nice. to be my dream. This was like my dream job. I was like, oh, yeah. this would be great, you know? And when I was at Georgia, um, we were using like Illustrator version four. And guess what? Cartoon Network was using Illustrator version five or something. Yeah. And it was the year they made a dramatic change in, in the interface. Like it went, it did not look and feel like the previous version at all. Yeah. And, and so I got into this job and I was so used to just leaning over my shoulder and asking the teacher to come help me do something Oh boy. that yeah. Yeah. I did not know how to learn this stuff or troubleshoot it. And the, the punchline of the story is that I somehow ended up crashing every computer on the second floor of Turner network <laughs> uh, because I, I had so screwed up a file so bad that I was trying to reboot it. And I actually flipped off a server Oh boy! Uh, and crashed. Yeah. And so at the end of my three weeks, they had told me I was going to probably, they were probably going to hire me. And okay. then the three weeks they were like, Mm, yeah. we think we're going to pass. So oh it, yeah. it was one of those moments. It was a crucial moment in life where I was like, wow, I don't know how to teach myself, you know? Yeah. And I think, and I think these days students, the software is changing. Everything is changing so quickly. Yeah. Even, you know, even just now when we were logging in to set this all up, I'm like, Oh wow. I didn't know QuickTime had that little feature. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so many things that change and are different. That if you don't know how to keep up with it or you don't know how to, to figure it out, mm-hmm. you're you're going to be at a real loss later on. Yeah, I, I'm glad you bring that up, and I hope uh, students listening to the podcast and um, uh, educators, as we can get those students in the classroom, it's so important. I've actually gotten to a point where, I mean, we understand as educators repeating ourselves as part of the practice, uh, mm-hmm. but there's a limit, you know. Yeah, and I yeah. found myself this semester more than many semesters previous um it you know students are like how do you do that again and so when i'm when i'm explaining it again i'm like okay Mm -hmm. click on the drop down that says this and go to that and what i've been seeing is students will click on that drop down but their mouse doesn't move past the click or maybe it'll click Ah. and then just drop down just a teeny bit they're waiting for you exactly yeah and they're like where is it i'm like keep going yeah. And they're like, I don't see it. I'm like, are you looking and reading and finding it? And, you know, and yeah. that's the case, right? They're just waiting to be told what to do next. So, yeah, yeah thank well, you so much I, for bringing that up. Yeah, and I think the best way, I mean, just like the finger painting on cardboard, that was actually something new to me, you know, and that was kind of done out of uh, actually wanting to get off the computer and not sit there. And I was, you know, I was designing real estate brochures and ads and stuff like that nine to five. And when I came home, the last thing I'd want to do was work on a computer more. So that was kind of like, you know, a reaction to that. But in doing that, you know, when you start something new, you don't know how to do, you do a lot of it and you start to refine it and you start to figure out how it works. Mm-hmm. And and I think like, if you were to look at some of my early illustration work from, you know, 2000 to where it is now, I think you would see sort of a, a really, subtle but clear progression mm-hmm. and, and i feel like actually in some ways with my painting i've kind of taken a break from it because i feel like i've kind of got too comfortable with it you know okay so now i'm i'm trying to actually now go more digital because i've been so so hands-on okay, for so yeah. long that now i'm like okay how can i replicate this you know using a cintiq or working on an ipad or something you know that's so great. that's kind of that's kind of the next thing for me is i really want to explore that aspect of what I do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about that. So I'm glad you brought that up. And then, and then you'll have to analyze that work and say, well, is it, is it maintaining the same aesthetic or can you mimic it enough where it's, it's not noticeable by the naked eye, but uh, yeah. And and, and that's why I've, I've always kind of gone back because it never has quite that same, it never has that quite that same quality, Mm -hmm. but there are certain projects I've done that I could not have done if I wasn't doing it digitally. Right. So like the library doodle kit thing that you mentioned with the panda bear logo, that was part of a bigger mural project that I did for the Richland library here. And, and that was a thing where we had the community uh, draw bookmarks um, with a Sharpie marker. And then they drew about 800 and then I drew 800 by hand. But then I tiled all those together and digitally and colored them all digitally. I could never have done that project if I wasn't working Mm -hmm with a mix of that, you know? Yeah. 
And so when I was asked to do another mural, because I realized how time intensive that was, the next mural I did, I was like, I'm doing this all in a Cintiq. And I drew everything digitally. And it, it, it took half the time. Yeah. Um, it just it goes quite the same. Not really, but mm-hmm. close enough. You know? Yeah. It just goes back to understanding your tools and your parameters uh, and yeah. whatnot. And, and what uh, you're ha- and yeah. what you're comfortable and what you're comfortable with in terms of quality. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, sometimes you have to compromise a little bit, and there's some people who don't want to compromise. Yeah, so that's fine too. But you gotta you gotta be prepared to to work around that. Right, and right, you, and um, not to not to make the podcast about me and 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 in my classwork. What in graphics one? That's really what I've been able to to achieve with. I think all but one project, you know, is, is analog digital based. And how yeah. are you, how are you not relying on the computer? And yeah. eventually then how do you then, you know, know which to rely on for your outcome? Is it digital or is it analog? And how do you, yeah. how do you put them together? You know, bridging the, the physical and the digital. And the digital. Yeah. yeah I, I had a, you know, one of the things that drives me the most crazy is when, when you're doing a design class and you tell the students they need to make some imagery for, you know, we were doing a, a book cover recently and the students come in and they just bring in, you know, a live trace version of something they found. Yeah. And I was like, listen, you need to go out and take 50 photographs this weekend and you're not going to don't use, don't even open illustrator. Yeah. I want to see. As soon as you said live trace, I was about to hold my head, but then I'm like, okay, <laughs> everyone that's watching or everyone that's listening would not see it. But yeah. 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 So, you know, that, that to me is just kind of lazy, you know? And and students are like, well, I can't really get, I can't get it the way I want. And it's like, well, you have to set it up. You have to art direct it. You have to make it. You need to get what you need to get out of it, you know. <laughs> but also be open to just experimenting. I mean, you know, we mentioned David Carson earlier. He that's a guy that could take the worst photograph in the world and find a way to make it into a, a beautiful texture, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I do encourage that and. Years ago, I, I had interviewed it for a job at UNC Charlotte, and uh, I think they had a course there, one of their first classes, where they weren't allowed to use a computer for, like, the first half of the semester. Mm-hmm. And in the whole class, yeah. you know, I think they never finished a project either. There was no – it was all process. It was never about a, fin- a final thing that goes in your portfolio. It was right, all about right, yeah. you're just going to make stuff, you know. And I, I think that's a really valuable – really valuable exercise. To do I agree. For sure. So how does this, all this stuff then come into your teaching, like in the classroom? So is it, is it process? Is it built into baked into project work? Um, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. So I think a little bit of both. I mean, so uh, recently my students were doing uh, an editorial illustration project so whenever I get a hired to do something, I save everything I do from the the tracings on you know tracing paper doodles to emails to the final thing, and so it's a nice thing when I'm doing a, a talk about editorial illustration, I'll go back and grab one of these folders and in it I can put it up on the board and chronologically show them. Okay, here's the email I got from the art director. Here are my initial doodles that I didn't show them. Here are the ideas I came up with I did show them. Here is the first round I sent to them with corrections back from them. Here's the final thing, and here it is printed. Yeah. You know, and, and they get to see sort of the process. And, and then I tell them at the end, oh, and I got paid X amount of money to do this. You know, and when they hear that, they're like, ooh. You know, so they, they like <laughs> yeah. they like knowing, oh, wow, that's all it took to get, you know, whatever. Um, so, and, and some of them are like, that's all I got paid, you know. So it's yeah. it, it's a real, but bringing that real world experience is, is super critical. And yeah. I think when you show them, hey, this is how you do something from start to finish, that's real valuable. And when I give them a project, sometimes I don't really tell them why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like last week they were making logos and they were using construction paper. I kind of keep them out in the dark for a little while and make them kind of struggle with it. But then at the end, I can show them, okay, would you have ever come up with that shape or that character had you not worked with the paper? Exactly. And, and, and then they get it, you know, yeah. and they understand, oh, the logo has to have strong shapes and it wouldn't, it can't use lines. It's got to be shape. See, and, I, see, I feel good now because um, I'm very sneaky like that too. And I wait yeah. until 
and it, it, there's always going to be a student that will make a comment that's exactly what you're hoping that prompts, you know, exactly. And you're like, yeah. ah, by the way, yes, I'm being very lucrative and sneaky with you guys with intentions. And now you understand. So yeah. I, I'm glad to hear that. I'm not the only one that kind of, is that manipulation? Is that, I don't, I don't know, but yeah. Well, sometimes they want to know, you know, there's that old um, story about a teacher. Uh, I think it's like a first grade teacher asks her kids to draw a tiger and they all go crazy and they just start drawing tigers and having fun doing it. And then the teacher goes into a sixth grade class and says, I want you to draw a tiger. And one kid raises their hand. And they're like, well, what colors can we use? And the other kid's like, how big does it have to be? And the other kid's like, you know, can it be two tigers? And it's sort of like, you know, they, they're so concerned with like what the teacher wants that they're not really exactly drawing from within, you know? Um, and I think that's like a, a good analogy. That's of, you a know. perfect line. Yeah. What they're thinking about what the teacher wants and that's right. not it. And, yeah. And the little kids, they don't, they just make, you yeah. know, they just get lost in it and they do it for what it is. You yeah. know? And I think that's, that's that's a hard thing for designers. Like I think like the ones that are really successful are the designers who do what they want to do and they get people to pay them to do that thing, you know? Mm, and I, and like I think that. if you can convince students that, you know, um, you know, James Victoria, very, you know, famous designer, he, you know, he talks about that a lot. It's sort yeah. of like, you know, I want people to pay me for what I do. I don't want them to pay me for what they want me to do, you know? And, and I think that's, yeah. And if you can convince them there's a way to, to do that and still be a designer and work for the clients, per, you know, what yep. their needs are, yeah. there's a balance to it. But the really successful people, I think they figure out how to tap into what it is they do, you know? Yeah. So. Mary, you're making it very difficult for me to think about what I'm going to pull out of this for my teaser, uh, my 30 <laughs> second teaser. There's too much. Um, let's go back then and, and finish talking about, um, uh, bringing it into the classroom then. So you okay. talked a little bit about the process. Was there anything else you wanted to add to that? Oh, um, you know, I, I think one thing we talked a little bit earlier about imposter fraud. And I can't remember if that was on oh, here before the thing, yeah. but, but, you know, um, but like, uh, you know, I would feel, I would feel bad as an educator if I wasn't doing work and bringing it into the classroom, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's real important that they can, that students can see that you're actually kind of practicing what you preach. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I guess, um, and, and it's also, the other thing is I have to always tell students is like, you know, this is what I do. It doesn't mean that's what you should do. You know, if, if I draw cartoony, fun, you know, colorful characters, you know, you might draw really dark, depressing vampires. I, I don't know, like, but you got to find yeah. your thing and you got to take your journey. Yes. And you have to figure it out what it is that you do, you know. And I think that, I think that's another thing I have figured out from working out in the real world is sort of like what works for me might not work for you. Right. You know, right. And, and there's a lot of people out there. I mean, I, for the longest time, the reason why I wanted to hire new people in our department is because I wanted the students to have other perspectives than just me and my other faculty colleague that has been there with me the whole time. You yeah. know, it's so nice for them to now see, you know, two other people's perspectives on what is design and what it can be or how they work and how they do things. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, I love like Skillshare. I think Skillshare is a very valuable tool um, for our students because, there they have a lot of contemporary designers on there and they do smaller based projects and things. And I think like it's good for the students, not just to see what the professors want mm-hmm. to see what other people are doing and how they work. Yeah. I, I believe so. that wholeheartedly as well. That's every single one of my classes, except for, well, not every single one graphics, one graphics two, uh, uh, typography driven, but I try to have them do weekly design journals where they go out mm-hmm. and they research, they find designers, I give them a list and I said, this isn't everyone, obviously. So if you discover someone, let's talk about it so they can see the variety of work so they can understand that, you know, they have their inspiration, but they also, you know, are encouraged to just be themselves and do their, do their thing that makes them unique. Yeah, Um, totally. Yeah. I'm watching time and we're getting close to, to a full episode, which is amazing because I think you and I could continue to talk about, uh, all this great stuff. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I am too, right? So that makes for a like four hour podcast. Um, what's 
so, so trying to keep things um, limited on time, and I apologize for that. What's next uh, for you? What do you have anything that you're working on that's coming up? Yeah, I've I've got uh, I've got three projects I'm really excited about. One um, is a simple, fun one. There's a arcade opening up in town here, and they just emailed me yesterday and asked me to come paint a giant alien. Oh, great. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that next week. So that's gonna be fun. Yeah. Um, and that's that's just a simple, fun thing to do. Um, but bigger, bigger scope. Um, the next thing I'm working on is I got a grant from the school. I'm working on a children's book about an introverted bird. And the idea is that, uh, I want to explore the idea or the topic of introversion. Mm-hmm. Um, so kids who are introverted will not, will maybe the, them and their parents and the teachers can have a discussion about what it is to be an introverted person. Um, as I've gotten older, I've actually become more introverted. You know, I, I can turn on extroversion for a while, but I find myself like I'm very happy alone, like working in my studio or, you know, uh, um, I, I can be a hermit, like no problem. I, I have plenty of things to keep me busy. Um, but it's been an interesting thing to kind of explore that topic and learn more about it. And I think that it would benefit a lot of kids. So the school, I got a grant through USC where I'm going to be able to publish about 300 of these books and give them out to local schools and send them oh, out to, um, you know, schools and libraries and stuff. So I'm real excited about that. Uh, the purpose of that research wise is I'm going to create the entire kids book using an iPad. Oh, great. So for me, it's a way to learn how to use procreate, um, which I don't know how to use yet. And, um, I'm going to do exhibitions too, with the artwork from the book. I've got an exhibition next semester in, uh, university of South Carolina upstate, so that's going to be the first show I do with that. So I'm real excited about working with that. I'm going to do a, a build a website too that has sort of tips and tricks and facts and books and things for parents to look at. So it's going to be oh. kind of a whole little unified campaign type thing. Um, and then fantastic. I also yeah, thanks. And then I also it. just got another grant through USC to um, I'm going to be working with the brand new Children's Hospital down in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to be doing with them yet. It's, it, the school has given me basically $10,000 to go down there and do workshops with the, with the, fa- the, uh, the doctors and the staff there. And we're going to figure out what they need. Okay. And uh, there's a lot of really innovative things happening with art and healthcare. And uh, I have found the work that I've enjoyed the most that I've made is the stuff that kind of goes into the community and sort mm-hmm. of does things to help. People yeah. learn or be more aware about things. That um, so that's kind of, yeah. yeah. And I think that's kind of where I sort of see my work going, actually. It's like, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I like the best part about making art for me is sharing it with people. And if I can share yeah. it with people and, and, and help them in some way rather than just being, you know, home decor, which <laughs> not, nothing yeah. wrong with that too. But, right. um, but if I can use my characters and my art to kind of, educate or explain or entertain people. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the thing about the, the children's hospital, um, I did another project with them recently and meeting with them, you, you know, they really explained to me like how important it is for a kid when they come into the hospital and they're scared and they're there for what could be like one of the worst days of their lives. Mm -hmm. If they see something fun and interesting on the walls, it really makes it a better experience for them. You know, definitely. So, uh, so I'm kind of excited to work on that too. I just don't know what that's going to be yet. Yeah. It could be, it could be a kid's book. It could be a, a mural. It could be yeah. whatever they tell me they need is what, a, what it's going to be. Yeah. I have a hunch. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm, and that's exciting. Like it's kind of fun to go into it, not knowing what it's going to be. Right. Right. And I, and I really was, <clears throat> I was really impressed that USC trusted me that, to, to fund a project. Basically like they're giving me just a blank check to go print. I said, I don't know what I'm yeah. printing yet. Yeah, but yeah, it's going to be you know from that. So. Two, two things on that note. Um, oh my gosh, let's see if I can remember them both. <clears throat> um, first one being um, just that conversation that goes back to what we talked about earlier about is it you know what a client might expect they want or what they think they need isn't necessarily what they need or what what is going to solve their 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 problem or whatever um right so so going in with that open mind and well let's let's talk let's find out about 
what it is you're trying to do so that we can meet meet that without just, oh, you wanted a mural. Well, maybe it's not a mural, right? Right. Uh, so I think that's awesome. And the second one was um, you've got such a, a extensive long list of grants you've been awarded. I think I would love to have you come back on the podcast at another time when we start talking about grants and grant writing for design educators and what those what that looks like and the processes and, you know, how you can uh, be more successful in that. I think you've been sure. pretty successful. Um, well, so. I mean, the, 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 the one quick thing I would say to anybody who's, you know, faculty watching this is for every grant I have received, I have been rejected probably five times, mm-hmm. but I apply every single year because you can't win if you don't play, Excellent. you know? Yeah. And, and if I don't get funded, it makes me step back and look at that grant and say, all right, why is this not a good proposal? And if it's not, what can I do to improve it? Or do I need to move on? Yeah. You know, and, and that's been real valuable. Too. Yeah. And similar to what you talked about, about exhibitions, you know, uh, yep. you, you, you can't be awarded those things if you're not being active. So, uh, big. Yeah, and again, for junior faculty, I set aside $500 every year that I spend on, uh, entry fees in the competitions. Ah, a lot of times, okay. a lot of times that is like writing a blank check to nobody. Mm-hmm. And, but the, but the, the times you get in, it's totally worth it, yeah. you know, and, and it can make your, for scholarship, it can make your scholarship case. And for, if you're looking for freelance work, um, you get, I mean, I, I won one competition that brought me in. I don't can't tell you how much work I got off of just that one being published one time in communication arts, you know, yeah. that brought me in a ton of big higher profile jobs that I would never have gotten. Perfect. Yeah. So, you know, well, Mary, if I could, can you leave with a word of wisdom uh, to students? If I give you an opportunity to have a minute or two, what what message would you want to give to the students before we conclude? Um, I would say there's two things I tell my students at the end of every semester. And the first one is you got to be a sponge. And when I say that, you need to be open and actively pursuing design everywhere you go or illustration, whatever it is you're into. And, and I don't just mean going on Pinterest because Pinterest is always – a copy of a copy of a, the good stuff, right, right? Right. You know, there's a reason why design magazines and design books in the library are such a good thing is because they've been carefully curated. That's the good stuff, you know? So I, I tell students that. And then the other thing is what I mentioned earlier, it, you know, no one has the same journey. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, so if the kid next to you is doing one thing um, and you know, that's their thing maybe, but some kids are going to graduate and they're going to get their dream job right away. Other people are going to bounce around for a year or two until they find something that they're comfortable in. You have to be comfortable with that. And you have to just realize that it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, uh, yeah. you know, it takes time. And I think patience is the hardest part of, of, a, of a student's career. You know, looking for that first job, looking for that that first job you really like. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you really love it and you really are into it, it somehow works out. You know, so right. That's awesome. That's great advice, man. I appreciate you joining me today. It's been. I I don't even know if I can put words to it. I, <laughs> is, uh, man, yeah. I've got this combination word that I was trying to put together. It's not. Yeah. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, it was about six different descriptive words and it was just, uh, well, so much cool. fun. Well, I, I thank you for having me on here. And, and like I said before, I think this is a really wonderful thing that you're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't mention this to you earlier, but I kind of went through and watched a bunch of different versions, uh, you know, episodes that you have on here just to familiarize myself a little bit. Oh, okay. And it's great. I mean, I oh, really, yeah. yeah, I learned a lot about it, a bunch of different people and, when I have time, I'm going to go back and listen to the full the full versions of each one. So Man, I, I, I wish I had had this ten years ago. You uh, know, so that that's I'm flattered. Um, yeah. I I try to be a very humble person, so it's very hard to give you a reaction. Yeah, uh, well, just thank keep you. doing it. Thank you. I, yeah. I will definitely will. Yeah, well, good to meet you. And I'm sure if, if there's anything else I can help you with, you let me know. And oh, for if sure. Any of your viewers have any questions for me? Just reach out and uh, definitely. Where can I'll they find you? That's one of the other questions I like to ask. 
Yeah, so my website is uh, valdezart.com, um, and that's Valdez with an S, not a Z. Um, or you can go to zoovaldez.com, take the same place. There's an email form on there. Um, on Instagram, I am zoovaldez, and also on Twitter. Fantastic. So, and I'm going to yeah. have a bunch of links um, in the footnotes, both online yeah. and on YouTube for the video version of the podcast. So um, we'll get all those linked up in there so people can reach out. Great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. And happy holidays. Yeah. Same to you, Mary. Thanks <laughs> so much. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. Definitely. Okay. Take right. care. You bet. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. The Design Deducts podcast can be found at designdeducts.com. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-D-E-D-U-X.com where you can listen to the podcast or watch the video version of the podcast, as well as find links to the guests and the topics discussed during each episode. The Design Deducts podcast can be found on most podcast listening platforms. You can join us on social media through Instagram and Twitter via at design underscore deduct, on Facebook as Design Deducts Podcast, and join us on YouTube at Design Deducts for video versions of each episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can show your support on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash design underscore deducts. Once again, thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode.